Well, it's great to have all of you here today. I, I want to welcome all of you, especially who are joining us for the very first time. Because if that's you, you could not be joining us at a season of time in the life of our church that is more exciting than it is right now from my point of view. And that's because God has opened the door to a huge opportunity before us as a church family to launch a second New Life Christian Church campus on the west side of Bella Vista right off the new bypass. And last week, if you were here, then you got to see some pictures of the new building. In fact, there's one behind me of what it's going to look like in case you haven't seen that yet. But this is what our new campus is going to look like. And, and we also showed you an animation where like literally this whole thing comes to life and you can walk through the building. And if you have not seen those yet, uh, that animation, I would encourage you to check it out before you go home on our display. It's playing out there on a loop and uh, you'll get to really have a good feel for what this building is going to be like. I want you to know too that after last weekend when we really uh, launched all of this stuff, uh, I have so much enjoyed and appreciated the, the, I've lost track now of how many conversations I've had with many of you, I've met with a lot of you, and I've just been really encouraged by your enthusiasm and your excitement as we blaze down this trail together that God has us on. You've been a real encouragement to me. Now, hopefully, last week, all of you went home with a prayer guide. Did you guys get your prayer guide? Now, I know last week, um, we limited you to one per family because we wanted to make sure we had enough to get through the whole, uh, the whole morning. There, we have more out there now. You can take more if you'd like. We have extra copies. But this is a 15-day prayer guide that uh, devotionally is going to walk you through some of the things that we want you to be praying about and thinking on, reflecting on. You know, opening up your heart to maybe what God wants to show you during this whole process. So, so please, um, if, even if you haven't started yet, pick one of these up today. We're on day four, so we got lots of days in front of us. You can catch up easily or just start right on day four and join in as we align ourselves with God in, in this journey. And uh, if for some reason you don't grab one of those before you go, you can always pick one up uh, or download one rather from our website, newlifenwa.com slash Go West, and you can download it and all of our materials there as well. Now, um, this week in the mail, you should have received a, a Go West campaign booklet. How many have received this in the mail this week? All right, not as many hands as I thought. So we either don't have your address, which we'd like to fix, sign up the connection card, we'll get that on there, but you can pick these up as well at the, the Go West display. This is kind of the the, 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 the place you go to to learn everything about our campaign. There's more pictures in here. It describes the need, why we are doing this, how we are going about doing this whole campaign. And, and so please pick that up. I believe it will answer a majority of your basic questions right here in this booklet. But take some time to read through that as well and take one of those home with you today. Now just a couple other things as we move forward here. Starting tonight at 6 p.m., it's going to be our first Q&A night about our Go West campaign. We're going to have another one on Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. right here at the church as well. This is going to be an opportunity for me and some of our other leaders of the church to answer a number of your questions. We've got a list of questions that we're going to answer for you already, but you're also going to bring some questions with you. So we invite you to a, a wonderful night of fellowship, learn more about uh, the second campus we're launching, bring your questions with you. We'll do our best to answer those. So if you can't come tonight, you can come Wednesday. It's the same thing. But those are our two question and answer nights. Also, April 30th into May 1st is our, um, is our uh, uh, 24-hour prayer event. 
Hopefully you've known by now that we are bathing this thing in prayer. The devotional that is 15 days long leads us right into our 24-hour prayer event. We want to have an entire day, full circle of, uh, of, of time, just praying for this campaign. Not one second missed. So if you go online, you can sign up every time slot. So we're not asking you to pray for 24 hours straight. We're asking you to sign up for a block of time that uh, five people for every block of time throughout the course of the day. Now, it's hard to read the 10.30 a.m. service because like last night at Saturday night, I said, obviously you come to church on Saturday nights because you're night owls. So you can take the the midnight to 3 a.m. block. And they all laughed. They thought that was funny. First service, I told them, because you guys are early risers, obviously you're going to take the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. time block. So I guess the rest of the schedule is wide open for the rest of you, because I don't know, on 10.30 a.m., that's like prime time worship service, but I'm just kidding. But, you know, go to our website, sign up. We'd like the whole church to be praying on that 24-hour period of time. And then all of that leads into what we're calling Commitment Weekend, which is May 1st and May 2nd. Now, I hope you know there's no hidden agenda here with anything that I'm sharing with you. When we approach Commitment Weekend, we're just asking all of you to pray and seek the Lord's guidance concerning what you could potentially give um, as a one-time gift or what you could potentially give as a monthly or weekly commitment throughout the course of the 36-month campaign. Um, Our prayer is that we have 100% participation. In fact, everybody who calls New Life Christian Church their home, everybody who has been blessed by this church, whose life has been changed because of the ministry of this church, whether you're here physically with us or you're even watching us online, I know we have a, a number of folks that will never step foot in our building, but they call New Life their home. And if that's you, I hope that you'll jump on and participate as well. We're gonna be all in this thing together. That's what we're praying for. We also recognize that when we're all in this together, it's not going to be equal gifts, but it will be equal sacrifice. We're all at different places in life. There's, there's, you know, some of us feel like we have a lot, some of us feel like we have a little, and some of us don't know where we stand. But I can tell you, if we're all in praying about this humbly before God, he'll let you know. All in, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Now, I want to let you know, I'm going to make you this promise because some of you might be wondering what the next couple of weeks are going to look like. Let me put you a little bit at ease here today. I'm making you this promise that I will not be hounding you for money. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. All right. That, that doesn't sound too convincing. So you want me to hound you for money. That's what I, no, no I'm, I'm kidding. Saturday night, I said, I said, I won't be hounding you for money. And I said, can I get an amen? And like the whole place was like, amen. I'm like, that's a little too much. A little too much amen. <laughs> I promise you, when you go home from church on, uh, after oh, the next few weeks, you will not feel like you have sat through an hour-long, high-pressure, timeshare presentation, okay? I, I promise you, that's not how you're going to feel. Have you ever sat through one of those? So you got your $50 for showing up, didn't you? I can tell. We all know what's going on here, don't we? So I'm simply asking you to pray. That's it. I'm asking you to pray with an open heart, to pray with an open mind. Put these things before the Lord and be humble before the Lord. And we believe that if we're praying and we have an all-in mentality, equally sacrificing, we're going to watch God do some incredible things through this campaign. So here's what we will be doing for the next several weeks leading into our commitment weekend. 
we are going to be studying scripture that reinforces some very powerful truths about God, like the incredible truth that it is God who provides and that we can trust him with everything. Do you believe that today? I believe with all my heart. It was Paul who said to the church in Philippians 4.19, he says this, my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We have seen God meet our needs, and I know you've seen God meet your needs too in your family. We're gonna see him do it again through this campaign. So we're gonna focus on truths like that. We're gonna focus on truths that display the reality that God owns everything. It all belongs to him. It started with him. It is all his. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's pretty explicitly clear, isn't it? It all belongs to God. We're going to be studying truths about God's purposes and his plans for people and how the path that we are on as a church lines up with that plan that he has for people. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So I think being reminded of these truths, believing these truths in faith, trusting God with these things, that is what's going to get us across the finish line of the race that the Lord has us running right now. So as we have done all of these many weeks now, would you join me in prayer? And let's just put this before God and ask him for his help and his guidance, his provisions. Lord, we just come before you as we have done many times now. As we've been praying as a whole church family, that, Lord, you do a great work among us. Lord, we believe strongly that you have laid this vision in our hearts, and we have watched physically how you have provided all of these many, many years leading up to this moment. We have zero doubts, Lord, that you will continue to provide. So, Lord, our prayer is this, that as we humbly come before you, that you will guide and shape and lead. Would you impress upon us, Lord, what it is you would have us to do, Lord. And together, may we have an all-in mentality. That, Lord, we just humbly say, God, what do you want me to do? And then to trust you, Lord, with that prayer. Lord, this is what we're praying for on this day. And we know, Lord, you hear us and that you'll answer our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you got your Bible, would you go ahead and open to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy? That's where we're going to be spending our time today, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And let me just tell you, I really like Deuteronomy chapter 8. In fact, I've preached Deuteronomy chapter 8 a number of times right here at New Life, so it should have some familiarity with some of you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, let me tell you what's happening in that chapter of the Bible. Moses, you've heard of him, he has led the Israelites out of Egypt, and they have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And now Moses is about to die. We have reached that moment where God is about to open the door of the promised land to the Israelites. And Moses, because of circumstances, he's not going to be able to lead them into the promised land. He's going to be turning over the reins of leadership. And this is going to be a whole new day in the life of the Israelites. So Moses... He gives a farewell address. Imagine Moses at the end of his life, and he has one more opportunity to express how he feels about the Israelites and what they should be doing as they move forward to possess the promised land. He, he preaches three sermons, really, and this the, uh, totals this farewell address to the Israelites. And one of the things that he focuses on a lot on is God's generosity and how all through these years, God has been on display in front of the, the Israelites. Now, you got to understand, this is not really the same group that came out of Egypt. 
because of their disobedience, their lack of trust in God, a whole generation has died off. So the grandparents and parents that Moses led out of Egypt are not going. This is now the children of those people. It's a whole new generation. And so Moses is like, let me get you guys really focused here on what's important. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. This is what Moses says to the Israelites. Be very careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that a man disciplines his son, so that the Lord your God, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord of your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. Friends, if you're taking notes today, why don't you write this down? It is God who gives. It's God who gives. It's so obvious from what Moses is saying. It's God is the giver. His generosity is on display. Now, let me just back up again and remind you just a few more details. Like I said, these Israelites have been in the wilderness for 40 years. Years And there were millions of them. And I think it's really important to note that when the pronoun you is used in this text, Moses is referring plurally to all of these Israelites, all millions of them by this point. When they left Egypt 40 years before this, the Bible tells us that there were 600,000 men who walked out of Egypt, including women and children. So if we just kind of do a little bit of simple math, you might say maybe there's just as many women as men. So maybe there was 1.2 million people that walked out of Egypt. And then they all had their children, their families with them. This is during an era when families were huge. You know, Jacob had 12 sons and daughters. I mean, this, this could be very big. Could it be possible that on the day they walked out of Egypt, there was over 3 million people? Four million people, six to seven times the size of Northwest Arkansas. That is a lot of people. And when they marched out, now just, we don't know exactly, you know, how they did it, but let's say they walked out 50 people wide in a column. Do you realize with that many people who were walking out of Egypt, 50 across, that would be a, a column of people that is 40 miles long. That's almost as bad as the traffic in Bella Vista at eight o'clock in the morning, all right? Then we're talking about a lot of people. In fact, so many people that it would take, oh, about 16 hours for each person to cross the same spot. That's how, that's all. This is a large group of people. It has been estimated that in order to feed all of the people that left Egypt on that day with Moses, it would take three, it would take 30 railroad boxcars full of food just to feed that many people for one day. It's also been estimated that it would take 300 tanker cars of water per day to keep that group of Israelites hydrated. 
So you think about all these people, they're walking out into the desert. It would not take long, would it, for their food and their water to run out and they would become people that are in great need. But if you know the story, if you know the Exodus story of what happened, God did what? He provided for them. What did he provide? Every morning he provided this food called manna that just showed up on the ground for them to collect and eat. Not only that, but God uh, split wide open a rock and out came gushing water for people to drink. God did that right from a rock. God caused quail to hover over the ground and the Israelites could easily collect them and and have have meat. God was simply being himself because God is a giver. God is outrageously generous. And we see this from the very opening pages of the Bible. God created this incredible earth and he gave it to, to Adam and Eve. And he's like, I give you every green plant that there is. Everything belongs to you. We just saw God gave the Israelites manna and quail and water. He also provided so that their sandals would not wear out, their clothes would not wear out, their feet would not hurt. Anybody wish that their feet wouldn't hurt anymore? Forty straight years of wandering the wilderness and their feet never swelled. This was all from God. Long before the Israelites went into the promised land, God led them by a pillar of fire He was guiding them along the way. I mean, we can look through Scripture and we can see countless examples of how God was a giver, all leading up to the greatest gift that God ever gave. You know what that is, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's a giver. If we keep reading, look at verse 7. Here's what Moses says next to the people. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey. I don't know why he doesn't say Diet Coke because that would just be the icing. I'd be the capper, right? Man, imagine these people who, who have been in the desert for 40 years and all of a sudden they're hearing about Olive oil and honey and bread and gushing water. I mean, I, mean, I just uh, imagine the feeling of excitement that must be coming out. And verse 9 says, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. I mean, could we all agree that in this moment of the Bible, things are starting to look up for the Israelites? Would we agree with that? It's really starting to look up. You could say that there's now seeing light at the end of this 40-year-long tunnel. They're about to leave behind the land of lack, and they're about to enter into the land of plenty. God was outrageously generous to them. And we wonder, how can God be so generous? Well, if you're still taking notes, this is why. God can be generous because God owns everything. It is God who owns God who owns. And we looked at this verse already, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord and everything's in it. He owns it all, friends. Psalm 50, 10 declares that the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That's a metaphor for he owns everything. Notice in verse 9, the Israelites are going to lack nothing. All of their needs are going to be met by God, who is the owner and the giver of all things. God is so much on display in what Moses is saying to these Israelites. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 10. Here's what Moses says next. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God 
failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and you have, all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. That's pretty strong words, would you agree? We cannot help but notice, really, that the Israelites, their entire existence is about to change. Like I mentioned a minute ago, they're going from the land where their basic needs for daily existence were being met. They're going from that lifestyle to a lifestyle of having access to just about every desirable thing that they've been dreaming about all these years. And so what Moses is saying, when you go through a sudden life change like this, I want to warn you that there is a risk in doing so. He's warning them that there is a risk of gorging themselves on everything that's available in the promised land of plenty. There, there's a risk here, friends, of just gorging yourself. So Moses gives them some very, very strong words. Did, did you catch them? It's a warning. He's like saying, folks, you're going to go into a land and you're going to feast on the food there. You're going to enjoy all these spacious homes. Um, the work that you're going to do is going to be blessed. And he says your flocks and your herds are going to increase. Your investments, they're going to grow. You're going to accumulate a lot of things. And with all of that, Moses is saying, you run the risk, a greater risk than ever before, of turning away from God. He's like, you're going to have this temptation to think that uh, while you're getting ahead in life and your head is getting big with all these things, you are going to think to yourself, look at this that I have done. Look at how great I am. Look at how talented my hands are. And you're not going to acknowledge that it is God who gave all of this to you to, in the first place to produce what you have. Basically, Moses is saying to the Israelites, you're in danger of getting a huge head and forgetting all about God. We'll come back to that in a moment. We we'll wonder, how is it that God is able to outrageously give from what he already owns? How can he do that? Well, it's simple. It's because it is God who controls. If you're still taking notes, put your words down. It is God who controls. Did you notice in verse 19 and 20, uh, Moses said, it is God who causes nations to rise and nations to fall. Remember Job from the Old Testament? He was a guy that had it all, and then he lost it all. And, and you know what he said? He said uh, that the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he declared this about God. He said, it's God that causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. It's the Lord that sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's because God is sovereign. He controls it all. God gave them manna every day to eat, like we've read several times now. At any moment, God could have taken it away. It was God who gave them water. It was from him. At any moment, God could have taken it away. It was God who gave them everything because he controls. So out of his generosity that he owns everything, he controls everything. And so Moses is challenging these Israelites. He's like, like, don't ever take your eyes off the truth that it's all from God. Don't become big-headed people. Don't think it's by your own strength. And he's like, your obedience to God will actually be like a sign to God that he truly is the king of kings in your life, that he is your leader, and it will continue to go this way as long as you understand these things. So I think about how God is immutable. That means God never changes. He's the same back then as he is today. And so with that, we understand that uh, God gives, God owns, God controls. It has been that way with the Israelites. It is that way with his church today. And so since God gives, God owns, and God controls, how should we respond to that? You know, I think these are good things to think about as we too are standing on the edge of our next chapter as well. No, it's not the same thing as the Israelites moving into the promised land, but our church is on the move. And God has put something out in front of us, and I believe there's some powerful truths that we need to be focused on right now in this season of movement in the life of our church. And it's this, don't ever forget where all of this comes from. It comes from God. He gives, and if we take the time to really take an inventory, we can think of many times in our lives where God has graciously given to us. He owns it all. He controls it all. I believe these are incredibly powerful truths that here at New Life, we need to have right in front of us in this very important season in the life of our church. So the question again, how do we respond to that. Well, I think there's two really important responses that we as a church need to have. The first response is this. We need to acknowledge this truth. We need to acknowledge that God does in fact own, he does in fact control everything, and he is the source of all that we have. I think one of the greatest uh, places that we can be in as a Christian is to humbly look to our Heavenly Father and say, it's all from you. Everything is from you, God. I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus told about a, 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 a farmer who had done really well. In fact, he had produced more, more crops, more grain than what he even knew where to store it all. And so Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12, verse 17, and he says this, this man who had so much, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I mean, boy, so this guy's got it good. His barns literally are overflowing. That's this guy's story. So then he said this in verse 18. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. But, but God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is one of those very in-your-face kind of stories that Jesus told. And, and he uses the word that's very strong. He said, God said to this guy, you are a fool for thinking this way. And so if we have ears to hear and we're really paying attention to God's word, then we should walk away from this parable that Jesus is teaching Jesus and think, man, you know, if we accumulate and we achieve and we amass possession and, 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 and power and all of these things, but yet we fail to acknowledge that they all come from God and he is the source and the reason behind all of this, then we run the risk of God looking straight into our heart and saying to us too, you fool. Just as the Lord gives, the Lord can take it away. So we must acknowledge, we must be in a position to acknowledge God is our provider. It is God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. It is God who gives us the ability to earn a paycheck. It is him that gives us the intellect and the skill and the opportunity to earn money so that we can put food on the table and a roof over our heads. God is indeed our very own lifesaver. So friends, how do we respond to a never-changing God who's just like he was back with the Israelites, he is with us today. Our response is to acknowledge this, that it's all from God and I've got nothing without him. How else should we respond? Well, we need to act on it. There's the mental part of it where we acknowledge it, but we got to act on it. We need to respond, I would say, in a very God-honoring way. Now, now just think with me through a little bit of God's generosity. He, he was generous with Adam and Eve, and he said, this entire garden is for you to enjoy, but there's one thing you've got to understand. Out of all of these thousands and thousands of plants and trees and all that I have given you, this one thing I need you to understand, keep your hands off of that one tree. That's it. There's an abundance of generosity towards Adam and Eve. And what was their response? Where's that tree? I want to taste the fruit off of that tree. You could make the argument quite simply that even though Adam and Eve had more than they could ever explore probably, it just wasn't enough. They had it all, but they wanted more. And so how did they respond to God? It was not in a God-honoring way. And, and nor did the Israelites. God gave them the promised land full of farms and houses and businesses, none of which, many of them, they didn't have to build for themselves. And what was their response to God, if you know how the story unfolds? Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, two and a half of them said to God, eh, we won't go. We're really happy right where we are. And Moses is laying out this beautiful picture of what it's going to be. And two and a half of the tribes said, eh, don't want it. We're going to stay right here. They were ungrateful. They were unappreciative children. They remind me of the 10 lepers that, that Jesus encountered one day. And they came to him for, for healing and mercy. And Jesus sent them on their way to be healed. And as they were leaving, all 10 of them were healed of their leprosy. And if you know the story that Jesus told, how many of them came back to say thank you? Just one. One out of the ten returned to show appreciation. And Jesus even acknowledged this. He says, hey, to the one guy that came back, 
weren't there 10 of you that were healed? How come only one of you is coming back to say thank you? There is this sense in Jesus' teaching that all of this is from God, healing and the things we have in life are from God, and it is not wrong to respond and act in a very grateful way towards God. In fact, I would say this, how grateful we are towards God is an indication of how spiritually mature that we are in our walk with our Heavenly Father. Let me share a story with you. I've shared this one with you before, but I love it so much because it just, it, it, it just makes so much sense in the context that we're talking about. Imagine being on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, and you're just looking out over the rail, gazing out at the water, and you lose your balance, you fall over into the water. Can you imagine how scary that would be out in the middle of the ocean? And let's just say, for the sake of illustration, you don't know how to swim. So you've fallen off the deck of the ship, you don't know how to swim, so you're flailing in the water, and, and all the thoughts going through your mind, that's it, I'm done, I'm fish food, this is over, and, and I'm gonna drown. But then, at the last moment, Somebody on the deck of the ship notices you're gone, and they see you out in the water, and they know they got to sound the alarm, and what they do, and they, they grab one of those life ring things, and they throw it out to you, and it lands perfectly. I mean, smack right in front of you, and just as you're about to go underwater, you grab the life ring and hold on to it for dear life, and by that point, the guy on the deck has alerted enough people. They're pulling in the rope, and they haul you back on the deck of the ship, and you're coughing, and you're getting the water out of your, your lungs, and you're, you're gathering your, your senses, and once you do that, you look at all the crowd around you who is cheering and happy that you're alive, and you look at them, and you say, man, did you see the way I grabbed that life ring? Man, man, did you see the way that I held on to it for dear life? Did you see how strong that I am? I've been telling you guys how strong. Did you see my muscles start to bulge out of my wet T-shirt? Did you see all these muscles I've got? That would be an insane response, wouldn't it? That would be an absolutely ludicrous response to a group of people that saved your life. What would we actually do? What's the reality? You would find the guy who noticed you were gone. You would find the guy that threw the ring out to you and you would thank him profusely. You would hug him. You would kiss him. You would say, how can I serve you? You would do all of these things. Let me take you out for a steak dinner when we get to land. Not McDonald's, but a steak dinner. I wanna show you my appreciation. That's how we would respond. We would do anything that we could think of to show this person just how much we are grateful that they saved our life. You know, God has saved our life. Do you know that? He has given to us this outrageously generous gift of his son, Jesus Christ, our lifesaver. He saved us. So what is our response to him? Is our response, oh, well, ho-hum, thanks. Do, do we say, hey, did you notice how often I, I worship you at church? Once a month, get a load of that, once a month. He saved you, oh, do you notice how much I read my Bible and I, I learn more about you? Yeah, once a month when I show up to church. Did you see how much I, I, I pray? Yeah, when the pastor says, close your eyes and pray with me. Our response 
to our revealed God who gives, who owns, who controls, your response says something about you. Moses urged the people to remember the Lord and his generosity. Later on in his farewell address in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, this is what Moses tells the people to do in response to God's generosity. He says, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, the festival of tabernacles. No one should, should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. In other words, in response to God's generosity, you're gonna come three times a year to these special gatherings and you should not come empty-handed at all. There's a response that you need to be prepared to give. They're to bring an offering that's in the amount that corresponded in the way that God has blessed them. That's an incredible standard. In other words, take an inventory of your life and how God has blessed you. And the gift that you're supposed to show up with is appropriate to that blessing. And that's not the, the language that we use anymore when we talk about generosity or giving. But that's an incredible way of thinking about it. Come with what God has blessed you with in proportion. You know, when you're invited into somebody's home, maybe somebody invites you over for dinner, what is our natural response to an invitation like that? We say what? Oh, what can I bring? That's the normal way. Somebody says, come on over. Well, what can I bring? We are grateful for the invitation, and the natural response is, hey, what can I give? Think with me for this moment. Jesus said this, that the Son of Man has come to serve and not be served, but to give his life as a ransom. And Jesus served us at Calvary. And the Lord has blessed us in the here and now, and he will bless us in the hereafter. He has been outrageously generous, and so the question we should wrestle with is, how generous are we towards God? And I think back in the Old Testament, it's like God woke up every day, and he said, good morning, my children. God was on display. Good morning, I put manna out here for you to eat once again, just like yesterday and the day before. God was on display. Hey, just like the day before, I've got water here for you. I've got some meat here for you. I put a cloud in the sky because I've got you out here in the wilderness and there's no shade, but I'm gonna shade you. It's almost like every day the Israelites woke up for those 40 years, God was on display. Again, God doesn't change. I believe we wake up every single day and God is still on display. It's like he's saying good morning to another day. I gave you this day. I gave you the air that you're breathing right now so you could enjoy this day. It's almost like God saying, I provide for you today the ability and the opportunity to earn money so you can enjoy life. I've given these things to you. Welcome to this day. This life is yours. It's a good life. And I'm so looking forward to the day when we are together in heaven. And I've even provided for you the only way to experience that one day, which is through my son Jesus. God is still on display every day if you'd open your eyes and care to see it. So the question becomes, to what degree 
do we put God on display in our own lives? And I think that we should sincerely consider that question as we stand on the edge of our own next chapter as a church family. We should ask that question, to what degree is God on display in my life? Especially as we prayerfully move closer to commitment weekend, asking God what it is he would have us to give. What gift should we bring? Friends, before we go home today, I want you to hear a testimony on generosity from a lady in our church named Judy Brown, who shares some stories and some things how generosity has touched her life and how God has been good and how grateful she is. And I think you'll be blessed by her story. Here, watch this. Hello, I'm Judy Brown, and I'm a member here at New Life Christian Church. I'm married to David Brown, and he's the executive pastor. I will have to say, generosity has always amazed me. Some people have a gift of generosity. I have a sister-in-law that would give you the shirt off of her back. To be honest, I've never really understood that because that's not a, a gift that God has given me, but it's not an excuse for me to not learn generosity. I have found that when I'm tight-fisted and I hold on in fear, there's never room for generosity. But when I can let go and I can trust God with everything, my finances, my time, everything, then there's more to give to others. And the reward for giving has been one of the biggest blessings I guess I've ever received. But I love giving back to God and acknowledging that all things come through Him. He is my Creator. He is my Redeemer. He's my Lord and Savior. So how can I not give back to Him? And I guarantee you, I have seen this so many times, the next year it will increase, and the next year it will increase, and you will be amazed at how God works. And so I just really encourage everyone, because God tells us to test Him. He wants to bless us, no more than what, more so than what we want to bless our own children. And so, test Him. And I'm just excited for the things I believe that are gonna come up next year when we're looking back. And I just wanna hear the stories. How did God bless you? How did God bless you? Was there an extra bonus? Was there an extra job? What happened in your life? We can never usually see it as we're going through it, but looking back, we can see how God carried us through that. And so in that message, I just wanna encourage everyone, let's test God to the limits. Let's give out of our heart, let's give abundantly. And for some that's gonna be a lot, and for some that's gonna be little. And it doesn't matter what the amount is. I mean, goodness, if Jesus can take some bread and some fish and feed 5,000, I think we can build a, build a little church to reach others for Jesus. When I think about our Go West campaign, I actually get really excited. Um, there's nothing like, I remember in my 20s that I really just got really excited and, and really started digging into God's Word and just what it meant to me to have people in my local church encouraging me and feeding me and I was hungry for the Word. And so when I think of expanding and building another church, I just see that we're filling a need in our community to bring others to Christ. And then he tells us